Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. Well, good morning. We're so glad that you're joining us, whether here at Ajax or Port Perry, Bowenville online, somewhere at a cottage or around the world. Welcome. And we're now uh, in week three or four in the series on the Ten Commandments, and we're excited that you're here. Like I shared last week, I was in London, England with 8,000 other Christian leaders from 80 countries celebrating what God is doing around the world, specifically through Alpha. And uh, so that was an amazing experience. And just the day before I came back, I FaceTimed my wife and we were talking and I said, how's everything going? She says, I'm tired. I'm like, I'm sure you are. And she said, yeah, and there's one other thing. Now, right when that happens, all the alerts go off. She said, well, uh, I took the kids out and, um, and the night before and they got some Slurpees. I'm like, okay, fine. And, and my son picked the brightest red version that, of course, should be banned. I'm sure there's a billion chemicals in it. And he chose that one. I said, okay, that, that's fine. That's normal. What's the problem? She said, well, uh, something happened early this morning. I said, well, what took place? She, she said, well, at 5.30 in the morning, uh, Noah got up and somehow wandered downstairs and vomited all over uh, the front um, uh, rug and then stumbled into our family room and vomited again all over that rug and then somehow didn't walk through it, walked around it, walked up the stairs, came into our bedroom and vomited all over our rug and our bedroom. So I was like, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Uh, and I was like, uh, I, well, what's the damage? And my wife said, well, I, I cleaned it. I'm like, thanks. And I said, and she says, well, Merry Christmas. Uh, it's coming early. We have to buy new rugs because that red is never coming out ever again. So I arrived home to this fuchsia beautiful stain in multiple places across our home. And after I learned uh, not to swear at that moment, I thought, oh, what a brilliant example of sin where the thing that we're drinking or eating we think is fine and good for us, and then, unbeknownst to us, something else takes place, and it makes this stain that is impossible to get out, and it ruins something that is not even our own. See, this is why this series is so helpful for us in a time of post-truth. See, when you look at the Ten Commandments, you know who God is and who he's not. When you look at the Ten Commandments, he defines what he calls sin. He says, that is a red stain that should not be there, and you have marred my work. At that moment, like we found out, either we can run away from God, pretend God does not exist, or run to him and find out if he is merciful. And as we know in this church, in every church that loves Jesus around the earth, God is not just holy, God is also love. And so when we run to him and we ask for mercy, he gives it through Jesus. And the amazing thing about our boss is he has an amazing ability to take out stains that are impossible to remove. Amen, anyone? Yeah. So all this stain comes out, and then at that moment, the Ten Commandments take on a new form for us. They don't just define sin. They become how we walk in the relationship we've already been given because God loved us first. They become, as Jay Packer said, life-giving laws. Now today we're going to hit number three, don't take God's name in vain. One person after the first service here at Ajax says, I didn't know how you're going to stretch it out so long, but you did it. Because isn't it obvious? No, it's not. Now, there are all sorts of factors when dealing with names, and especially if you've had the blessing of choosing a name for a human being that they will have for the rest of their lives. Have you ever heard a name and you were wondering if it should be the name you want to give someone else and you strongly react against it? 
You're like, I hate that name. And the person's like, well, why do you hate it? Because for you, it reminds you of someone you don't like or someone that did something to you a long time ago. And then if you're evaluating names, then there's, well, that kid down the street with that name. I don't know if I want my kid to be affiliated with that kid. And then what will the family think? And can the name become an easy, easily a joke later? You're trying to guard a kid. And then there's the history and the meaning and the popularity of the name. Now, in our culture, most of the time, it's about what we feel about the name, the sound of it, not necessarily the meaning. Yet, of course, we know some names are now off limits. I guarantee you've never walked into any environment on earth and said, oh, this is my little daughter. We're so excited about her future. Her name's Jezebel. No, right? This is Judas, a bright future ahead. No. Why? Because certain names have become off limits because of what has happened historically. Now, in biblical times, names were not picked because they sounded pretty or they were on trend on Twitter. Names were picked to express who the person would be, what their character would be like, and even to talk about their destiny and their future. Which brings us to the third command. Exodus 27, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord. Notice the phrase, your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who has misused his name. Now, our culture is full of this inside of church, outside of church, songs, movies, podcasts, uh, everyday language. The name of God is used from worship to wickedness, singing to swearing, blessing and cursing. But God is clear about his name. And remember, again, this is given to those who know God personally. The Lord, your God. This is not given corporately to the whole universe. No, no, this is given to us that already have a relationship with God. So God says to us, his family... Don't take my name in vain. Now, God has revealed himself through the Bible, the scriptures, through many names that reflect his nature, his desires, his actions, and his purposes. Let me just take a moment as we get going this morning to just list a few of our God's names. God is the mighty creator. He's the God who sees me. He's called God Almighty. He's called the everlasting God. He's called the Lord. He's called the Lord who provides. He's called Master. He's called the Lord who heals. The, the Lord is my banner. He's called consuming fire. He's a jealous God. He's called the Holy One of Israel. He's called the Lord who is my peace. He's called the Lord of angel armies or the Lord of hosts. He's the Lord, my rock. He's the Lord, my shepherd. He, he is just called the name. He's called king and husband and living God and dwelling place and refuge and shield and fortress and strong tower. He's called the judge. He's called the hope of Israel. He's called the Lord our righteousness. He's called God most high. He's called the Lord who is there. He's called father and Emmanuel and light of the world and the bread of life and the physician and he's called the lamb of God. He's called the Prince of Peace. He's called the Rose of Sharon. He's called the Messiah. He's called the Word. He's called the Cornerstone. One of his names is he is the Bright and Morning Star. He's also the Lion of the Tribe of Judah. He is Friend. His name is Jesus. He's Savior, Son of David, Son of God, Redeemer. He's the Great Uncreated I Am. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He is called in the Bible True, Faithful, Alpha, Omega, Beginning and the End, Comforter, Convictor. Oh, and he's called the Holy Spirit. This is our God. See, this is so important because in our prayers, in our songs, in our worship services, in good times, in boring times, and in dark times, we call out to God and invoke his presence. How? By his what? Names. So they should have profound value for us. They tell us who God is and they tell us who God is not. Now what's so important that we understand is many of us 
because of our culture, want to start using names for God not revealed in the Bible. But you cannot do that because they are not revealed names. God has specifically decided what names we get to use for him. And if we begin to actually use names not found in the Bible, either we'll begin to teach ourselves and others who God is not, or we will, by mistake, begin to invoke spiritual presences that will act like God but are not God and will lead to your destruction. Use the names found in Scripture, no other. Now, the truth of us, truth of many of us, is when we look at this third command, and actually we look at the first four, we feel maybe a greater affinity to the last six. You know, don't murder, don't lie, don't steal, don't covet. And the first four seekers might call superstitious. Others people say, well, I don't know if I need them. See, here, here's the problem. Many of us want the morality of the last six without the relationship of the first four. And this is so important because we believe, especially now we're in a post-Christian culture, if we just put the Ten Commandments everywhere, everything would be okay. No, it would not be. Because posting a bunch of laws to a group of people who do not worship God will do nothing for our neighbors and our friends. A group of professors did a survey and asked students to put the Big Ten in order. 90% of them reversed the order. And what they missed is the first four commands are about God and his people. It's about relationship first. It's about God-given mercy first. Then the next six, teach me how to love my neighbor. They, they're given to preserve and strengthen a love covenant I don't deserve. It's always vertical, then horizontal. Our movement is not into making moral people. We are not a movement into morality. We are a movement that worships the living God and loves our neighbor. So if you want to understand the Ten Commandments, it's simply like this. I was saved and loved by God first, so now I love God second, and then I love my neighbor last. But don't miss that. I was saved and loved by God first. I had nothing to do with that. He just decided to love me. That's why if you read the Ten Commandments, like we did a few weeks ago at the beginning, it reads like this in Exodus 22. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I have already saved you. You already are my people. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, or the earth beneath, or the waters below. It is the unmerited mercy of God, which is the whole basis to love God and love your neighbor, and to say yes to the Ten Commandments. As one person said, the first commandment was internal, who we worship and who we're called not to worship. The second command was external, what we will not bow down to, invent, or put our trust in. But now we're moved to the third vertical command, the profession of our mouth, God's name. As another said, it is the first commandment that deals with the object of our worship. It's the second commandment that deals with the means of our worship. And it's the third commandment that deals with the verbal worship of God. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Now I've read this my whole life. Maybe you have too, maybe you haven't. Yet what does that really mean? After some real reflection, I'm now convinced that we'll never take care, we'll never take this command seriously, we'll never take it deeply in our hearts, we'll never see the freedom of it until we see the positive side of this. See, in our limitedness and in our humanness and our, our infiniteness, we, we think that God is almost like a, a teenager upstairs who's having a temper tantrum because we don't like him enough. Don't diss me, don't misuse my name. You, you need to go on Instagram and like me more and then maybe I'll like you back. No, no, no. God doesn't need our likes. <laughs> God is love. He's within community already. This is about love. God's name is everything to us that know him personally. His names answer the fundamental human question, 
that we all ask. Can God be known? And can God be found? And can God be defined? Now, many people say that God cannot be objectively defined by human language, so he cannot fit into the objects of definition. Soren Kierkegaard said God is wholly other, and our language and thought is not strong enough to define him. Even Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 6.16, God dwells in unapproachable light. Now, if that was the end of the conversation, we'd be stuck with nothingness. But God, out of love, has decided to let us know him. He chose to enter into the human experience, and he has revealed himself by deeds, by names, by encounters, and of course, fully through Jesus, who is God in flesh. And the point is this, God has not left the building, and we're left guessing anymore. God can be found, known, encountered, and walked with. It's the word theologians call, it's revelation. It means to disclose, to appear, to come close, to exhibit, to manifest things that were previously concealed. God has revealed himself, and we can know him, and we do know him, and at the heart of all that revelation and all that holy history is one thing. It's his names. Now, let's just start with the name that's used in the third commandment. Do not misuse the name of the Lord, your God. In Hebrew, there's two names for God used here. Do not misuse the name of Yahweh Elohim. Now, Yahweh is also the connected name to I am when Moses met God at the burning bush. It also in the Old Testament in the English version is the Lord. It's used 6,800 plus times in the Old Testament alone. And the name reveals God's absolute being, his creative and benevolent presence. It's the great defining confession and cry of the Jewish faith and, of course, the Christian faith, the fulfillment of Judaism. Deuteronomy 6.5, oh, oh, hear, O Israel, Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. So this name points to the uniqueness of God, the unity of God, and declares there is only one God. He's not just the best of all the gods at that time or this time, like Baal, Ammon, or Marduk, or Ganesh, or Buddha, or the incarnation of the Dalai Lama, or the God of tree, or water, or fire. He was and is and always will be the one true living only God uncreated. But more than that, Yahweh is the name that God uses exclusively when he moves in salvation and when he moves in covenant, or to use a modern thing, marriage. When God becomes a person or a people's savior and he enters into relationship with them, the name that is used is Yahweh. You, you see this even before the Exodus in Exodus 6.6. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am Yahweh. I will bring you out from under the yoke, the yoke of the Egyptians. I'm going to set you free from being slaves to them. I'm going to redeem you with an outstretched arm and with the mighty acts of judgment. Thinking on Yahweh, specifically the phrase that God get the name, I am this old preacher preached this message like this. He says, there are some questions we're all wondering about that I've got an answer to. He says, so who's going to make sure that good triumphs over evil someday? I am. Who's going to make sure the whole world knows about Jesus in the end? I am. Is there truth out there anymore? I am. If my husband walks out on us, who's really going to take care of us? I am. Wonder if the chemo isn't enough? I am. Who's smart enough to figure out this crazy life of mine? I am. I'm in desperate need for something fresh in my life. I am. Leaders are dropping like flies. Who do I trust? 
I am. Is there anyone out there who's really real anymore? God says, I am. Who's going to stay with me now in this big house? My kids have moved away. I'm an empty nester. I am. I'm going under. I need someone to help me. I am. My family deserves way more than they've got. I'm suffering injustice. I am. I have always been. I always will be. I am. Right? That's Yahweh. But the second name that is found here is the name Elohim. It's the very first name of God found in the Bible, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. This is the most general name of God, and it breaks down into two parts, El and Him. El means God, mighty one, one whose incomparable power elicits reverent fear and awe. So he's mighty, and he's creator, and there's fear and awe. But Him gets really interesting. It's a plural term, which means supremacy or can be translated almighty God's plural. You say, well, what is going on here? Well, here's the amazing thing. In the very first verse in the Bible, we already are seeing that God who is one God has a plurality within him. This isn't just like the royal we when the queen says we accept you. No, it's deeper than that. This is saying in the DNA of God, there is a plurality. And of course, we later know this is called the Trinity. There is one God found in three persons who share one essence, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right in the first verse, you begin to see the beautiful reality that God God is love. You cannot love someone if lo- someone else is not there. So through two small names, Lord God in the Ten Commandments, we know there is only one God, yet within him there's a plurality. He's not created. He's self-contained. He's mighty. He's most powerful. He's eternal. He's not bound by time. He's the Lord over all. He's transcendent, yet he chooses to be intimate and immediate with us. He's close and far, noble, uncreated, and oh, by the way, he's worthy. So overall, God's names are key in all we believe, all we hold dear, and all we trust in. Here's how one pastor thought about it. He said, remember in the Old and New Testaments, a name was believed to be a mysterious part of one's actual personality, an extension of your character. Throughout the Bible, God's name represents the nature of God himself. So to speak for God, you end up speaking in his name. To praise God is to praise his name. To worship God is to call upon the name of God. To serve God is to love his name. In the temple, when the temple actually was formed, it says in Deuteronomy 12.5 that, that the Lord God will put his name in that place. See, to know the name of God is to know the power of God. In the book of Acts chapter 4, the religious leaders were grilling Peter and John about the healing of a lame man. And listen to what they asked in verse 10. By what power or by what name did you do this? And Peter answered, it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Eventually this court lets them go, but they forbid them to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. You see, God's name includes his character, his will, and his power. That's why we're to pray in the name of Jesus and why God's name has special power and meaning for us. So with all that in mind, seeing the name of God for what it is, then we now come to the Ten Commandment call. And he is basically saying to we who are his family, do not spit on my name, do not misuse my name, don't break my name down, don't throw my name around easily. The name of God who loves you and you're in relationship with and has done so much for you, you would never want to misuse that, would you? Do not misuse the name of the Lord, notice, your God. 
Now that phrase misused in other translations, especially if you grew up in church, the old King James is, thou shalt not take my name in vain. Or another one is, you shall not profane the name. The word profane, if you're going to take notes for connect group, will be really helpful. Profane comes from the Latin word, two Latin words. Uh, pro is, is, is the word that means in front of, and fain is where we get our temple, the word temple from. And so as one said, those who use profanity have taken the holy and the sacred out of the temple and allowed their hearts and their minds to become a common marketplace. So John... How do all of us take the name of God and break it? The name that saves us, heals us, sets us free, holds us in life and in death. Well, after reading lots of authors reflecting on my own life, I have found there's not one or two, but there are seven different ways. Hooray! And remember, God gives, us, gives this to us for our freedom. The first way we uh, take God's name in vain is we just use it lightly or frivolously. I remember when I was in Bible college and, and we were foolish and stupid and young. And we used to make fun of faith healers who would hit people pretending to heal, and we, and, which is also wrong. <laughs> but we'd say, oh, in Jesus' name, and we'd do it in a southern accent. Now I look back on that, and that is nothing but sin. That here I am in my early 20s, giving my life to God in an institution where I'm giving my life to read God's word and prepare to shepherd God's people. And in the middle of the halls, I'm actually misusing the name of Jesus the Christ. Wow. It's like in the mid-90s when it seemed like every single <laughs> movie was from Southern California. <laughs> and every blonde girl would say, oh my, it's when a person and every conversation on the subway says Jesus Christ like it's a verb. Or we use the names of God to fill in gaps or to get our point across or to show anger or disgust. Using any of God's names in joking or jest, it's just simple. It's called sin. It's a mark on the copper you cannot get out. This is the name of our Savior and our God, the one who's redeemed us and saved us, who's called us out of Egypt, the one who's given us life and overcome death, sin, and Satan. Why would we ever misuse any of his names? The second is we use God's name in false affirmations. You know, statements like, well, I swear by all that's holy, or as God is my witness, or God told me to, or God told me so, or I swear by God. How many times have you seen someone walk into our courtroom and they put their hand in the Bible and you're like, I don't think so. See, it's not wrong to say God is my witness, but the point is when you do it and you know that you're lying, when you do it and you're not going to tell the whole truth or only partial truth, that is breaking God's law and heart. Leviticus 19, 12, do not swear falsely by my name, so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. One wrote, the third commandment is a prohibition against insincerity of speech, perjury, perjury false promises, and breaking of our word. In early in human history, he writes, people lied so frequently that no one could even trust anyone's ordinary word. In order to believe one, you started to have to call on God as your witness. We think cover-ups and evasions today in the political arena and elsewhere are this modern phenomenon. They're not. It's as old as all of us. The idea also emerged that if you did not swear by God, then you didn't have to tell the truth. Gradually, people became such liars, none of that helped. So people felt unless they took certain complex oaths, they weren't even obligated to tell the truth. 
In Jesus' time, by the way, you'll, you'll see this in the New Testament. People will say, well, I swear by the temple, or I swear by this gate of the temple, or I swear by the porch in front. In other words, I've got all this complexity, so I don't really have to tell you the whole truth because I haven't got really close to God. People used all sorts of oaths and lied. That's why Jesus just ends up saying in Matthew 5, don't swear at all, just let your yes be yes and your no be no. He's not saying you can't go to court and swear an oath. His point is you better tell the truth. Don't you dare invoke the name of God and then lie. Here's another way we take the name of God in vain, we blaspheme. It's cursing God himself and cursing holy things. It's contemptuous hate towards God or the things of God in word and deed. I've heard it many times in the cries of those who hate God, do not believe he exists, but I've heard it many more through the voices of people who are in such pain, they do not know what else to say. As a side note, but it's very important, I say this today. There is a shadow over some of you, both Christian and seeker, where you believe that you've committed the unforgivable sin because you told God to F off or you were angry one day and say, I wish you were dead or whatever you stated and you have heard that that's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. No, it is not. The context of that is if you reject the Lord Jesus Christ, that is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit because you've rejected the one the Holy Spirit is pointing to. If you have blasphemed God, let me assure you today, that stain can be removed. Do not let the devil or your own heart say you cannot come home. You can come home and you will come home and you should come home because God is love. Do not, do not misunderstand this. But blasphemy is when people rage out against God. Another way we take God's name in vain is we curse other human beings. We let rage or anger take us over and we utter inside or outside thoughts. How many times have you heard the phrase, God damn you, whoa. I mean, just think about that. May the God who has created all things eternally send you to hell, just saying. By the way, that's the very thing that we've been saved from, right? How could we ever wish that on someone else? And you're like, well, I didn't really mean it when you said it. Oh, oh, I remind you, the universe came into being by the spoken word. James says that actually words can set a whole forest on fire. In other words, let us be very cautious that we actually speak well of each other, but deeper than that, never invoke the name of God for eternal judgment. That is God's deal, not ours. Another day, we, way we do it, especially in our circles, is to fill in gaps in our speeches and our prayers. Now, some people say you should say God's name a lot less. Other people say you should use it a lot more. And they write big books against each other on it. It's a useless debate. Here's what we need to know. Whether you say God or Father 15 times in a prayer or not is not really my concern. My concern, and I think it's God's concern, is this. When you're saying any name of God, are you aware you're using it? Or is it filler? Are you doing it so you sound more spiritual? If so, you're taking God's name in vain. If you're using God's name to fill in gaps because you don't know what to say at that moment, be silent. Don't use God's name unless you're willing to use it properly. In other words, don't ever use God's name to cover up language gaps or to sound more religious. Just shh. Another way, of course, we take God's name in vain in our culture is we use phrases to express our surprise. Uh, by the way, I'm going to list these, but I'm not saying these. <laughs> when people say, oh Christ, oh my God, Jesus Christ, holy Mary, mother of God. See, there's nothing holy about this. It's just laziness. We've actually divorced the words from their meaning just to express surprise. Uh, think about if I did this with my wife's name. Oh, Joanna. She'd be like, what? 
Imagine every time I was angry, I said, Joanna. Every time I wanted to swear, I said, Joanna. Every time I didn't know what to say, Joanna. Every time I was surprised, oh, Joanna. She'd be like, stop, that's me. That's what we do with God all the time. It's his name. It's not divorce from him, it's him. We have no right to use it like that. Another way that we take God's name in vain is to pray or sing or give or hear God's word with no heart, no thankfulness or purpose or will. It's coming to church and singing to God and invoking his names, but actually saying, I'm not gonna obey him. It's coming and listening to sermons and saying, well, that's a good idea, but actually that doesn't apply to me or I'm not ready for that right now. We take God's God's name in vain when actually we perjure ourselves. As James says, we are not quick to obey what the word says. Now, to some of you who are here today, you're skeptics or you're seekers or you're, you're trying to understand the Christian faith. You're not a follower of Jesus. And you're like, well, John, that was real heavy. What do I get out of this? Well, actually, let, let me give you some very good news. See, whether you've understood it or not today, you as a skeptic or seeker, you've actually been shown more today about who God is probably than you've known in your whole life. Maybe God's name has been nothing but a swear word for you or you, a name that you've heard out there. But see, here's the amazing thing. You can know who God is through his names. He is the Lord, your banner. He's the Lord who will never leave you. He is the savior of the world. He's the one who has the power to forgive. Through his names, you will see God is holy and God is love and that he loves you and wants to bring you home. And he invites you to come home. He invites you to meet him and actually give up your rights and actually stop glorifying your name and actually saying his name is more important than yours. He he invites you to say, Lord, save me from death and hell and take all the ink stains and all the throw-up stains in my life and you wash them out. If you can do that, I want in. The invitation at the end of this message is for you to cross the line of faith and do that. Remember in that one example I already used, when the religious leaders were really angry that Peter and John had healed that man, This is what he says, it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you. Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other, notice, name under all of heaven given to humanity by which we must be saved. That's the name of Jesus. Paul put it like this, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, oh, you'll be saved. It's with your heart you believe and you're justified, made right with God. It's by your mouth that you confess and you're saved. And as the scriptures say, anyone who trusts in God will never be put to shame. Everyone who calls on the what? Name of the Lord will be saved. So if you want to come home, if you want to actually cross the line of faith, if you want to have eternal life and forgiveness and be saved from hell and be saved from sin and not let death have the final say and actually get relieved from always trying to build your name up, today is your day. Now to us, and it's many of us who are followers of Jesus. What is God saying to us in this moment? Well, in a very gentle and compassionate and yet strong way at the same time, God comes to us and he says to every one of us, repent, because my name is more holy. See, this command is not sort of a lesser one. You know, murder's pretty bad, but this one, that's not that bad. No, no, it's just as bad as murder. This command is just as bad as adultery. If you go rob a bank today and take God's name in vain, there might be different human consequences, but this has the same weight in God's eyes. So let me ask you a question. Have you taken God's name frivolously or lightly and used it? Have you made agreements and you've broken them and you've invoked the name of God to cover you? 
You say, John, well, what would an example of that be? Oh, how about if you're married, your wedding vows? Oh, I promise before God, sickness and, and health, right? Uh, cherish and love, exclusive. You said that to God, and you invoked his name. Oh, oh your baptism. You're my Savior, and you're my Lord, and I renounce the world, the flesh, and, and the devil. What about agreements you've made with God? where you were maybe at camp or at another church or maybe in this community, you're in a devotional moment and, and, and the Lord spoke and you said, yeah, I'm gonna do that. And it wasn't manipulated. There's a lot of manipulate. I mean, no, it was real. And now years later, you come back and the Lord said, but you said you would give me that or you would do this thing and you, you, that's taking God's name in vain. What about the dedication of your children if you have them? Many Christian parents profane the name of God by breaking the vows they make over their children at dedication. That we would model Jesus to our kids. That doesn't mean we have to be perfect. We have to model our brokenness and our forgiveness. But like, is, is Jesus a priority in your family still? Oh, is coming to church a priority? Is walking with Jesus? Are you demonstrating to your children what you vowed you would do? What about worship? We come as Christians and listen, and we all struggle, that's okay. We sing songs, we drink communion. But as one person wrote, our lips speak his name in vain because we lie to ourselves about our own lives. In other words, we perjure ourselves. Maybe you've blasphemed or cursed another human being. You've chosen not to forgive someone, so bitterness still is that grip on you. Maybe you use God's name. Even I hear Christians all the time say, oh my God. And you're like, well, that's not a defined name in the Bible. I'm like, just, whoa, just... Even other phrases, and I don't want you to be legalistic about this. Please remember this, because this is about relationship. But there are other phrases that were invented to get us away from this, like holy smoke. <laughs> Have you thought about where holy smoke comes from? Oh, right, it comes from the temple where the incense was before God. Holy smoke. Maybe we shouldn't say that. In other words, I'm not saying I want you looking over your back 24-7. I don't know, I don't know. God is love. God is holy. This is not about making sure that we've got an account with God. This is about love. And we love God and God loved us first. And so we want to make sure that we do not profane the name of God. Why? Because God's name is our only hope. When we speak the names of God, we're reminded of who he is. When we speak the names of God, we know what he's promised over us. When we speak the names of God, we know what he will do for those he loves. His names are literal love letters and promises and assurances, and we need them more than ever. Have you looked at the world lately? Disagreement? Left and right can't even talk to each other anymore? Everyone's got an opinion. Social media is, listen, in the middle of total social breakdown, let me tell you, God's name should be so important to you because he's our rock. Oh, and he's our banner. Oh, and he's truth, and he's our savior. Do you see the power? In the name of Jesus, there is healing. There's deliverance. In his name, it's the only name that eternally heals. In his name, it's the only guaranteed place of resurrection. And in him, God is seen, revealed, understood, and of course, brought into and onto the earth. So let's just take a moment, and I want to read some scriptures to you, and then I'm gonna give you a, a time to respond. Proverbs 18.10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe. Anyone need to be safe? Psalm 96.2, sing to the Lord and praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Psalm 5.11, and let all who take refuge in you be glad. 
Let them sing for joy. Spread your protection over them that those who love your name may rejoice in you. So how do we respond in this holy moment? Well, let's do it like this. To any seeker or skeptic in the sound of my voice, from another religion, spiritual, agnostic, atheist, or maybe you have the title Christian, but you're not a follower. This is your moment. So let's pray about this. Say, God, I have spent my life exalting my name and not yours. I've used your name as a swear word many times or I've not understood you. And I'm done. So I'm asking that Jesus would save me of my sin and wipe out every single spot I can't get out of the carpet of my life. Literally, I'm asking him to do a work that's impossible. I I want to know you personally now, God. I I want your name for life, forgiveness, salvation, and eternal life. I believe you lived, Jesus. You died. You rose again. And I put my trust in your name. I turn from my life of sin and say yes to you. I want now the name of God and my relationship with God to be real and honest and close. Just have mercy on me, a sinner, and let me become your son or daughter today. Father and Son, would you send the Holy Spirit now? Though the Holy Spirit is in us because we are Christians, would you send the Holy Spirit in great power and tell us where we have misused the name of God? Some of you are being talked to right now about your wedding vows. Others of you, the Lord is talking to you about profanity. Some of you, are act- God is talking to you about actually the misuse of alcohol connected to profanity. And he's telling you to stop that. Others of you actually have stated hatred towards God even as a Christian out of pain or question. And God's bringing that up to you right now. And he's asking you to let that go and actually let him heal you of that. But whatever the Lord's saying to you, could you just in your own heart right now say, Lord, forgive me. Just do that. Here's the last thing we pray. Father and Son, as you continue to pour your Holy Spirit uh, on this church, our request is that this church would be so full of holiness and so full of love that when the name of God is spoken from this church, it will be out of joy and worship and praise. We actually pray that this church would be marked by an unusual, unnatural, holy reverence and awe and joy about the names of God. And so, Lord, would you continue to convict us, heal us, or restore us? And we just want to say as we end this moment, thank you, God, that you've revealed yourself. Thank you that we're not alone. Thank you we know who you are. And thank you for what you keep doing. We pray this in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.